Hey, it's Brian here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Go Be More podcast. At Go Be More, our mission is simple. We want you to chase your dreams. And our apparel is designed to be a constant reminder of your commitment. This podcast aims to give you the motivation and mindset to get started and keep going. In this episode, John and I speak with performer and nephrotic syndrome patient Jasmine Shen. Jasmine knew she wanted to be a performer as soon as she saw The Lion King in the theater as a 10-year-old. Like many youths, however, she doubted that desire and put a lot of stress on herself to choose the right life path. And that stress took its toll, from losing her hair studying for school exams to choosing not to enter a dance program due to the fear of not having a backup plan. While eventually studying dance and preparing for a career as a teacher, she began to experience the symptoms of her disease. Tight legs, fatigue, swollen eyes eventually sent her to the hospital, and that's where her battle with nephrotic syndrome really began. She describes for us her diagnosis, her experience with prednisone, and the many challenges having kidney disease has created for her. And she also shares the life lessons she's learned about communication, prioritizing, and doing what you can, when you can. When we recorded this episode, Jasmine was in the middle of a relapse. Since the recording, she's updated us that she's going back on prednisone for the first time in many years. We hope she gets everything under control soon and can get back on the stage where she belongs. This was a really fun conversation, though, and if you have any feedback for us, please email me at brian at gobymore.co. And now, here's our conversation with the inspiring Jasmine Shen. All right, Jasmine Shen, welcome to the Go Be More podcast. Hello. Hi. Hi, Jasmine. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it's so good to see you. We've become uh, pretty good Instagram buddies. We have. We're now social yeah. media pals. <laughs> yeah. You know, what is just out of curiosity, because I have to make it some really meaningful connections on Instagram. What is your experience on Instagram? Instagram's a weird one for me. I yeah. feel like it's very addictive, to be honest. Over lockdown, I've been a bit too addicted to it, to the point where I had to kind of delete the app from my phone because I was like, Jazz, your screen time is disgusting right now. <laughs> but no, I have to I tell think- Ryan all the time, get off Instagram. Instagram. He's just he's an Instagrammer. <laughs> I am. I, I am. I am guilty no, of like stop. missing everything we do on Instagram because I don't log in. And then John's like, "I sent you a story." I was like, "Did you?" No. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I uh, think social media is so great if you can use it in the correct yeah. way. However, it can also go very terribly wrong if you use it in the wrong way. So, yeah. <laughs> You seem to have some fun with it, though. I've seen you post some really funny videos. I think with another friend, like a guy, you guys had some funny, funny videos. I don't know if it was YouTube and Instagram, but I've seen some of your stuff. I'm like, man, you're funny. <laughs> oh, it, I, I think I know what you're on about on my main Instagram. So I've got two Instagrams, my yes. uh, Jasmine's Journey and my main one. So on my main Instagram, I think the guy you're referring to is my boyfriend, Charlie. Okay. So, yeah, he's also an actor and over lockdown, we just got very bored. So we just decided to do loads of comedy (laughs) sketches and record them and just post them on Instagram just to lighten everyone's mood a bit. (laughs) They're funny. They were so funny. You guys look like you were just having such a good time. I think you guys were doing like, I don't know. I can't remember. We did a a men in black one. Mm. (laughs) I loved it. I loved it. No. So I've enjoyed the connecting. I've enjoyed also getting to know you through your journey and your battle with kidney disease. Obviously that's something mm. that we, we both have in common. I've, I've, I've been less and less shy about talking about it. You know, I was diagnosed in 2008 
with mm. FSGS, early stage FSGS. I've been very fortunate for somehow not for it to progress. I attribute part of that to good health. And I'm hoping that I can, as I get more understanding of the stem cell treatment that I had, the experimental treatment I had in 2011, three years after I was diagnosed, that that's also helping. But, you know, being diagnosed messed with me mentally just as much as it did physically. And obviously, I, I want to know and understand from others who are fighting kidney disease and who are at different stages in their lifelong battle. Because even when you are winning the battle, it's something you'll have to be very, very well wary of for the rest of your life. But that's something that we have in common. And, and you've been very open on Instagram mm. and social media about your battles. And just recently, you had a relapse. And yeah. just curious, where does your courage come from to, to talk about your battle with kidney disease? I just think that I've always been a person who believes that communication is key. Mm. So I always feel like if you don't communicate now, it might cause you a serious problem later because actually you didn't communicate in the first place. So then the other person might not actually fully understand what your situation is or was. So then it's kind of like, oh, well, you've just thrown this curveball at me. Why didn't you tell me sooner? And it's like, mm. oh, well, I was going to, but I was too scared or I didn't want to or I felt uncomfortable. So I literally started my degree upon diagnosis, which is mad. And I feel like that was the key point where I literally had to communicate to every single person who I met. Because actually, I mean, you've gone through it too, that the kidney disease affects your physical health as well as your mental health. It affects everything. So actually, if I didn't communicate with anyone, no one would know why maybe I wasn't in my class that day or if I didn't do something or if I couldn't meet up with my friends or go to that party or, you know, and I just think that almost cuts me off completely then. And I think, why would I want to do that to myself when actually all I need to do is explain the situation. If they don't feel comfortable with hearing the situation or what I have to say, or if they really just don't understand, then that's, that's up to them. You know, I'm not going to force people to listen to me and whatever, so I just think communication is so important and hence why I'm, I mean, I feel like I'm a naturally open person anyway. I do mm. like to share a lot and I like to share a lot about my life. And I've always been like that. I've always been quite outspoken, fairly confident growing up as well. But I do believe that communication is definitely key because actually without that, people can definitely misunderstand you for sure. Sure. Yeah. Can I ask you... Mm. I think that's really good advice for anything, not just a kidney disease diagnosis or something that's, mm. I mean, it's a, it's an area that I can say that maybe I struggle with, even in my like relationship with my wife, like I might be thinking something for quite a long time and then suddenly something happens and it escalates up to the, to the top. And, yeah. and now I realize that like, I have a lot of feelings about this and she doesn't even know that this is, <laughs> that this is an yeah. issue. It's really almost like, like, it's like, why couldn't you read my mind? And yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. This, my, my question to you is, do you feel that you developed this approach of communicating actively earlier before kidney disease or did kidney disease sort of change that in you and make you sort of change how you thought about communicating yeah. proactively? I think it definitely did increase it a lot more because I feel like, growing up I've always been very much my personality's been very feminist and also I've always been quite a stressed out child and mm. everything would make me stressed like a little bit of homework I'd be fine but actually then if I got another load of homework on top of that then I would literally not cope with it very well but I would always 
bottle that up and it's almost like I was quite an angry child as well and it all of my frustration would just go through anger Mm -hmm. instead of communication so and obviously that's not healthy for anyone and that puts way too much stress on your mind and your body and you eventually end up with a mental breakdown and it's not good you know especially when you've got I remember so we have a test in the UK called SATS so S-A-T-S and you take those when you're about 11 or 12 I think I remember I literally this sounds absolutely gross but I lost like a chunk of my hair from my neck the nape of my neck because I was so stressed and I went to the hairdressers and she was like you do know you've got a massive chunk of hair missing and I think at that point in my life I mean I was 12 for goodness sake yeah. I was stressed and that, that made me lose a chunk of hair. So yeah. actually I was like, oh my God, no, my hair. But actually in the bigger picture, I was like, man, I'm stressed. So <laughs> definitely I was so, so stressed up until, I think up until diagnosis, you know, because I strongly believe stress is something to do with my actual developing this kidney disease in the first place. That's so yeah, I, I, yeah, very, very so stressed. So I do believe that since I got diagnosed really yeah I feel like that's the turning point of when I was like wow I need to calm down and I need to communicate more basically. So Jasmine as a child can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and sort of in that environment did you have siblings and, and was the pressure like I, I would I would kind of want to understand did you feel that pressure was sort of internally created or was it sort of externally mm. created? Yeah so I lived with my mum my dad and my older sister who was a year older than me my sister is stupidly clever, so clever, beyond words. <laughs> That's so, such a so British clever. Word, stupidly clever. <laughs> stupidly <laughs> clever. <laughs> and literally, I am the complete opposite. I really have to work hard to get that A grade. I really have to study so hard. However, mm-hmm. creativity came to me a lot easier, a lot easier. But I just never thought it was possible to even dream of going into a career of arts and musicals and tv and film and all that stuff and it was all so out of touch to me that I was like oh you know what I'll just become a teacher and that'll do you know and Mm -hmm. to be fair I I did really like the idea of teaching so I always did strive yeah definitely internally because I do feel that I personally always want to strive for me it's not for anyone else I'm very selfish when it comes to this point it's always for myself it's Mm -hmm. always like jazz you need to do better you need to do this you need to do that and yeah growing up my parents are so supportive so so supportive and I'm so grateful for that and my sister is so supportive as well any decision I make they will be there for me and I think especially for my dad I think that was quite difficult because obviously I am British however my dad moved to the UK god must have been about 20 30 years ago now Mm -hmm. so obviously he's grown up being very traditionally Chinese and the way that they live and obviously the culture is so different so I I specifically remember having the conversation with him being like oh dad haha I think I want to be a performer haha and he was like oh okay and that to me that I think that conversation lasted about an hour and a half Mm -hmm. but in the end he literally just went oh so yeah there's a really great medical school in Birmingham that you can go to and I was like ah okay (laughs) cool (laughs) but like over time he he then like came around he was like you know what if it makes you happy you do whatever you want and I think he was just always just maybe worried that I wouldn't succeed in this area and that I would struggle in life and it would be harder on myself but honestly, when 
I finally achieved like getting into a performing arts school in London. It was such a massive thing. And he was like, you know what, this is obviously correct for you. And I have had nothing but success ever since. So I'm in turn, like, I'm so grateful for that. and so grateful for his support because actually I think if he didn't support that, I love my dad so much. I might have actually just gone to medical school, to be honest. You know, and I got to say something about that because, well, I had a, you know, very similar experience. There's certain parts of it that I just won't share because I don't want to, uh, you know, <laughs> My dad challenged me quite a bit with regards to yeah. my dream to become a, a runner. Mm. Obviously, I felt like when I made the decision to be a runner, I was like, I'm going to be the best in the world. But my dad had this dream for my brother and I to be NBA basketball players, like pro basketball players someday, the next Michael wow. Jordan, right? And so when I quit basketball, it was 10 years of, of investment and time and sweat and weekends and early mornings. And I have this poem I was rereading the other day and it was like, just like my father is what it's called. I wrote it years mm. ago and I gave it to my dad and it was about like how this is how important your parents giving you the permission to dream is by the way folks so I had a hard time with it I had such a hard time similar to what you're saying I felt like I almost would if my dad didn't I don't know I don't think that he necessarily gave me the permission to quit but it was one of those things where I just did it but if he would have like kind of fought me on it I may have stuck with it yeah. you know instead of going into running simply because I love him that much, you know, yeah. but like, thankfully he kind of just, just, he didn't resist it. I think it, I know it broke his heart at the mm. time. I heard it from other people that it did, <laughs> but you know, it, it was one of those things where if he would have said it, just like your dad would have said it, I wouldn't have done it. Probably I would have stuck with basketball, but 12 years later, when I made the Olympic team, my dad told me right after the, the, the race was over and outside of the stadium, he comes up to me and he says, I'm so glad you didn't listen to me. I'm so glad that you listened to wow. your heart. You were right, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I, I cried and cried and cried that day <laughs> oh, uh, after the race. And everybody's like, he's crying because I was, I made the team, but I was an alternate officially named to the team, but as an alternate. So I'm like, I really wasn't going to go to Beijing. I wasn't competing <laughs> for sure. So I, everybody thought, oh, he's crying because he didn't make the Olympic team. I was crying because my dad said what he said. Yeah. And I think as well, we, we sometimes forget our parents only want the best for us, but actually sometimes exactly. what they think is the best for us isn't actually what's going to make us happy. And yeah. actually they just want us to be happy. So really it kind of just fights itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to get the, you need the permission to dream is what you're looking for from our parents. Just, just tell us yes. that we can give us the permission to do it. And when they do, it is, I don't think there's anything it's more a blessing. beautiful. It is a it blessing. Is a blessing. It really is. It is great. <laughs> yeah. So Jasmine, you're 12 years old and you're stressing out and you're losing your hair and you're taking these tests and <laughs> Brian, jeez. <laughs> when did you decide that you're going to do this? Like you had, you said you had this conversation with your dad. Like wh how old were you? I mean, I actually have no idea when you got diagnosed. So I don't know. Can you walk me through how you got from that point at 12 years old to this point where you're talking to your dad and you're saying, I'm going to go study arts and you've made this decision? Yeah. So I decided that I wanted to be in the performing arts industry I went to go watch the Lion King the musical if you haven't watched it you need to it's amazing, it's amazing. even if you don't like musicals I'm pretty sure you will love the Lion King mm -hmm. it's so good and I watched it when I was 10 years old and I remember sitting next to my mum and whispering to her because I didn't want to interrupt and be like mum that's what I want to do what they're <laughs> doing on the stage I want to do it <laughs> <laughs> and she just kind of turned to me and went yeah okay okay now shush like you, you're being too loud I was like, okay <laughs> okay that's fine 
so then ever since then I was like I must do that that is incredible and actually I've been a dancer since I was about four years old so that's always been my hobby always always and bless my mom she's made such an effort to always take me to my dance classes and just make sure that I've always attended them basically and and done well and just stayed happy whilst I'm doing it as well so that there's no pressure of course because I did do a set syllabus and obviously as you get older it does get a bit more obviously harder and it it then counts as like points to go to university and whatnot and etc but yeah so that's when I decided that I wanted to do performing arts and then obviously I then went to sixth form college when I was about 16 17 and that's actually the time where I think there's so much pressure for teenagers to decide mm-hmm. at that age what they want to do for the, essentially the rest of their life I think it's so especially demanding. in England I'll be honest in the US you don't really have it I mean, some parents might put that pressure on their kids or some schools or teachers or some situations might but in England I mean it, the, the, yeah. the system is different you have to make a decision I, I forget all the terms you said sixth form college or something, right like, yeah which, these are a little bit foreign terms to me but when you're going to enter that school that's kind of guiding your track now from that point on exactly yeah so basically we have high school and then sixth form college for a couple of years and then university so obviously university is then your degree which will then set you for the rest of your life essentially so at sixth form college it's a bit like okay what degree do I want to do And that is so much pressure, so much pressure on anyone, because actually at the time I was still debating whether I did actually want to go into the performing arts or if I wanted to become a teacher. And it was so difficult. And actually, when I was 16, I auditioned for a dance school just to see if I liked it and just to see if it was right for me. And I actually really enjoyed it and actually got a place at the school. But I was Mm. like, no, I can't go, because if I go... I, I then can't do my further education and I've got no backup plan essentially. So I actually didn't accept that offer. And I then went into further further education. I, I went to sixth form college and I did English, psychology and dance. And actually it's the best thing I ever chose to do. So that was a great decision. However, it's just like, I don't know. It's just so tough, but yeah. When I actually got diagnosed. You were talking about the diagnosis as well. Mm-hmm. So actually throughout this whole time, I still didn't have kidney disease. I was still just plain old me, just with the stress and no hair. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> after that, I just think I was so stressed by that point because I then really had to make the decision because I couldn't apply for both, of course. So then I actually went for an audition for The Lion King when I was 16, again, to see if I liked it. So they had an open call in Manchester and bless my mum, she took me all the way there. And I was like, right, mum, if I really don't like it, then obviously this isn't for me. If I can't handle the, the I was obviously going to get a no because I wasn't a professional at the time. And I said to mum, if I can't handle the no, then this obviously isn't for me. I'm not tough enough, blah, 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 blah. And actually, to my surprise, oh my God, that audition was so tough. So, so tough. And I got down to like the last six people, which considering I had no training, it, it blew my mind. So actually that was the thing for me to be like, right, that's it. I I must be in the performing arts industry. That's clearly wow. where I stand. And it's an opportunity I cannot miss. So and then decided to apply for universities that did the musical theatre and dance course. However, this is when we get onto the diagnosis. Mm. I, so basically, <laughs> God, where do I even start? So sixth form is two years. So in my second year, this is now in 2016, I believe. Yes, January of 2016. And one of my subjects was dance. 
And we were rehearsing to do a show because that was part of our course. And obviously we had to do it. And in the show, I think I had about three numbers to do. And at the time, it was a lot of pressure because actually I fast tracked two years in one because the year before that, I actually did statistics and PE, but dropped them both because, I, well, to be honest, I, I'm really bad at math. So I don't even know why I did statistics. Um, <laughs> so I dropped that. But it actually meant I had to quickly come up with a quick solution. Otherwise, I'd have to take an extra year. So I decided to fast track dance, which I was trying to avoid because obviously I went to do my further education to become a primary school teacher and try to avoid anything to do with performing arts. So I had two shows to do, actually, and it was a lot. It was a lot. Rehearsals all the time, dancing all the time. I would literally have an English lesson, then three hours of dance, then a psychology lesson. And then I'd have my hobby outside of college, which was dance again until like 9 p.m., 10 p.m. Sometimes it was a lot. Also revising for the other exams, a lot. So, yeah, I specifically remember one day in rehearsal, my friend must have thought I was on some sort of drugs because (laughs) the words that came out of my mouth, she was kind of like, what are you on about? And I just turned to her. (laughs) We were literally sat down. I said, oh, this is going to sound really weird, but my legs feel really tight. Mm. And she thought, what the heck are you on about? And I said, they Mm. feel really tight. And I can't explain it, but I just feel like they're going to burst. I said, my legs feel like they're going to burst. And I said, I don't know if it's because we've been rehearsing for the whole week that my legs can't take it anymore. But actually... I feel like my legs going to drop off my body. It's really weird. And I was like, maybe I'm doing too much. Maybe I just need to rest. She's like, yeah, maybe don't like, don't finish this class. Just like watch this one. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. So I told the teacher again, communication. And I was like, yeah, I just don't feel very great. And actually I hated that because I'm usually the one that's like, come on guys, we got this. Let's all go. And I then yeah. have to be the one to be like, yeah, I got to sit out. Sorry. So that was the first thing that I noticed, but actually over the, the next couple of months and even before that, maybe starting from December, I just noticed that I was so tired and I didn't know whether it's because my college was in a different city to my town. So I had to take the train every single morning and every single night to get to the place where I trained. And I just had to wake up stupidly early and I'd go to bed so late because of my hobby outside of school and just, yeah, I would hardly get any sleep. And then sometimes I would catch myself or my friend would catch me falling Mm. asleep in my other lessons. Like I'd be in English and I'd be fast asleep and I wouldn't even have noticed. And I'm like, oh my God, I've just fallen asleep. I cannot believe that. And I just, I mean, I laugh it off, but, (laughs) but yeah, I just found that I was so tired. It was ridiculous. And can we, ta- can so we talk the about the, the tired thing for a second? Oh, God. It's literally chronic tiredness. I cannot even explain, but it's I, like... Yeah, that's the thing that I didn't understand my tiredness. And mm. I thought it was because of the running, similar to yeah. your dancing. I was like, oh, it's just because of whatever. But I'm like, it didn't feel like a normal tired. And it's yeah. it's definitely reduced since I had my treatment. I just haven't had the same experience with the fatigue but yeah. I remember being the tired just didn't feel like normal tired to me mm. I'm like something yeah. never it's felt wrong. right with mm. that fatigue that I felt it was just yeah. different and yeah. it I felt like... it felt weird it's very hard to describe but yeah. when you start talking about it I'm like that's the thing that like doesn't it's... make any sense to me yeah. yeah it's very much the the only way I can describe it is 
say you're watching TV late at night and you kind of do that thing where you doze off, but you still want to watch the TV and you're constantly fighting and you're like, no, I must stay awake to watch the television program that I, I stayed up to watch, you know? Yeah. And it's constantly that, but it's not just your eyelids. It's your whole body that feels 10 times heavier mm-hmm. and it's your whole body that's been fatigued. Mm-hmm. And actually you must give in and fall asleep straight away because actually yeah. you cannot fight it anymore. And if you don't sleep, it, you don't know what's going to happen because it, it, it cannot fight it. Yeah. It's so horrible. And it's just that fatigue. Oh, I don't miss that at all. Uh-uh. And yeah, I'd literally just catch myself constantly falling asleep all over the place. Like any break I would have, I would literally go to the library and sleep. I mean, the libraries were studying. For me, it was sleeping. <laughs> it's my little cat. I, I, yeah, I mean, I thought I was just really good at, I guess like, I, I, I used to brag, like I could sleep anywhere. And I'm like, oh, yeah, right. I don't know if yeah, that was like, a good um, thing. <laughs> <laughs> like actually, maybe that's not great. <laughs> not so much. So, oh my God. Yeah. Jasmine, with other guests, they've talked about how, for example, they had a lot of swelling maybe in their ankles or something yeah. like this. So, so when you were talking about your legs being tight, was there any physical thing that you could see, like a physical change that, that signaled that you had a problem besides the feeling? Yeah. So by that point, I didn't look any different. And actually, that's kind of the annoying thing about kidney disease is that you can look at someone and not know that they have it because actually we look very normal. Like for now, for instance, um, my legs are quite swollen, but you can't see that because they're under my trousers. However, my face looks completely normal, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was the case that actually I put on quite a lot of weight. However, I still looked the same, which I was very confused. And again, I didn't know because obviously muscle weighs more than fat. I didn't know if I'd put on more muscle because I was dancing more and just all of these different factors. But I jumped on the scale one day and I just remember being about half a stone heavier which is about seven pounds. And I was like, that's not normal within the space of a week. Like that's not normal. But I just kind of brushed it off and was like, you know what, we'll ignore it. It's got to be something, but I don't know what. But actually, I think it was about a week later. So we're literally about to do the show. At the same time, outside of college, I was then working towards my tap, ballet and jazz dance examinations, which gave me points to go to university. So actually I was doing a lot. And there's a lot to learn with those syllabuses as well. And I had no time for myself. I I, I essentially had no time to think, no time to think. It was literally just go, go, go 24 seven. And by that point, I think I'd literally burnt out because I remember just one day absolutely breaking down, crying so much, being like, mum, I can't do this anymore. This is so much. It's too much. And I'd never said that before. I'd never admitted that anything was too much because to me, if you do everything at once, it's good because you're keeping busy. But actually, I couldn't cope. It was too much. And I cried that much. I can't even describe it. it, it it's just like chronic fatigue. Let's call it chronic crying. Like it, That's the way I can describe it. It was awful. The, the sobbing, God, it was awful. And obviously, we all know when you cry, you get puffy eyes anyway, because obviously something happens in your eyes and you get puffy eyes. However, (laughs) when you've got kidney disease and you cry, it's a different story. You wake up blind because you cannot see because your eyes are that swollen. Like you cannot see. And I just remember the next day waking up and being like, wait, I'm awake but I can't see anything. Have I actually woken up? Am I still asleep? Very confused. And I literally was like, what is going on? And I remember opening my bedroom door. First thing I always do, go to the bathroom. 
went to the bathroom, kind of did a quick look in the mirror and, and wasn't really concentrated because it was quite dark. Did my business, went back to the mirror and thought, oh my goodness, what the hell has happened to my face? What the actual hell has happened to my face? My whole eyelid, I mean, I'm Chinese anyway, so I, I don't have the biggest eyelids in the world. However, they had literally, I had no eye. Like that is, I had no eye. Oh well, my eyes. God. I had no eyes. Wow. And I was like, oh my God, mom. I was like, mom, mom, mom. Obviously the first person you call is your mom. I was like, mom, what's going on? She's like, I don't know. I was like, neither do I. I was like, oh, is it because I cried so much? She said, oh, maybe. She said, okay, well, I was like, well, mum, I'm not being funny. But growing up, I've always been very self-conscious about the way I look. And now I kind yeah. of don't really care. But obviously growing up, that has been a big factor. And obviously yeah. with your eyes being so swollen, I was like, mum, I can't go to college like this. This is so embarrassing. and so humiliating. I was like, I cannot leave the house. I cannot. So I remember staying at home that day and just, just I did not stop thinking about what the house happened, what the house happened. And I'd be like, it like a whole day would have passed I'd be back in bed like what the hell has happened like I'm still thinking about it and the mm. problem hasn't gone away and then I remember it didn't go away for about four days and I was mm. like yeah I think there's something wrong and actually by that point I still had the chronic tiredness and I think for the whole of four days that I didn't go to college I just slept and my mum was like right there's something wrong with you we must go to your doctor because this isn't right and this is when it gets a bit complicated so in the process already, I was being tested for hypothyroidism because of my stress and my anxiety. I'd already been diagnosed with anxiety and slight depression and also major stress. It was just a lot. And we were still waiting on the results for the hypothyroidism because actually my thyroid gland, that's the only thing you could see that was massive. Like it was huge. And my neck looked so buff. It looked like I'd been doing deadlifts on my neck. Like it was huge. <laughs> oh my and gosh. literally my doctor was like, oh, maybe you have a thyroid issue because actually that doesn't look normal. I was like, yeah, maybe. But obviously in the end, it was the swelling that was in my neck, which is probably why I couldn't breathe properly either. And I went to my first GP. I won't name, I won't do names. That's not fair. However, he wasn't very fair. And he basically told me, so I have a history of allergic reactions. It's just in my nature to be allergic to everything. Uh, that's just unfortunate. But luckily, I'm not allergic to dogs. That is one thing I'm grateful for. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, yeah, we love dogs. Yes. And basically, he just kind of went oh have you eaten anything different have you drank anything different done anything different basically I, I said no I've done everything the same everything's the same he said oh well I, I still think it's an, an allergic reaction so you can go home actually and I'll just give you some antihistamines and I went okay as soon as we left that GP surgery my mum said no that's BS we are going back that this isn't an allergic reaction and I said, yeah, mum, I agree. This isn't because actually I know what I'm like with an allergic reaction. And this isn't one. So we rebooked an appointment with a different GP who I've seen about once before. And she actually came back with my results to say that I didn't have hypothyroidism. However, in my blood test, it showed that I had a high amount of albumin. Now, mm -hmm. I didn't actually know what on earth that meant. I went, oh, great, cool. So cool <laughs> so like what does that mean is that good is that bad do I have an allergic reaction she was like no you need to go to hospital right now and I was like oh okay right cool she was like yeah you need to go now and I was like okay you're making me scared now because actually you're making it sound like I'm about to die in like 20 seconds I was like okay can someone tell me what's going on please yeah. I was like okay 
And she was like, okay, go, go and have a wee for me, basically, in this tube. I said, okay. So I went for a wee. I was like, oh my God, she's going to tell me I've got cancer. Ah! I was just like freaking out. I was like, oh my goodness. And oh, uh, no. so I went for a wee and then she did the dip stip, the dip test thingy. And she was like, okay, yeah, I think you've got something called nephrotic syndrome. I said, excuse me? I, I went, what? And she went, I went, what's that? And she went, yeah, it's a kidney disease. It's a chronic kidney disease. And I think you've got it. And, I, and you need to go to hospital right now. Your kidney's not okay. I went, oh my God. But do you know what I said? I went, oh my God, for you, I thought you were going to tell me I've got cancer. I, mm. I literally, I did not know how serious this was. Yeah. Only now do I think how ridiculous it was for me to say that. And actually she was like, no, this is serious. You need to go. Like, don't say that. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And obviously I always try and make situations quite lighthearted. But in for the first time in my entire life, I could not even make a single joke out of this. I was like, I have nothing. Like, I have nothing oh, no. right now. I was like, oh my yeah. God, I've been defeated. And I thought, yeah. oh, <laughs> this isn't good. So I was like, okay, cool. And I remember the week before that, I was actually throwing up as well. She was like, oh, have you had any symptoms of like being sick or anything? And I was like, yeah, now you come to mention it, I have. Because I remember the week before, I had randomly like, this is so great, probably TMI, but I mean, it's important to know. And I, I'd thrown up at maybe like 3am. However, what I had thrown up looked like literally green blob. Like that's all I can, it was a green blob. <laughs> and I was like, wow. what on earth is that? So I explained that to her and she was like, yeah, that was your stomach bile because your kidney couldn't process it basically. And I was like, oh, that's gross. I was like, cool, but gross. So yeah, I was just a bit like, what on earth is going on? But I tell you, one funny moment was actually, she basically, the last time she treated me was when I was about 10 years old. And obviously at the time I was 18. And in the UK, we have a pediatric ward. So it's for 16 and under. And obviously over the age of 16, you get treated with all the rest of the adults. And she'd accidentally called my local hospital to book me in for the pediatric ward for the kids. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, no, wait, what? And she was like, wait, how old are you? And I was like, 18. She was like, oh, well, I need to ring them again because I thought you were still a kid. I was like, no, I'm an adult now. So you can submit me to the adult ward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Jasmine, when you get to the hospital, what's mm. your experience like? I mean, you're in England, so your experience is going to be a little different than how it works in the US. But as a patient going in, how long did it take before you were officially diagnosed and that you really knew the results? Oh, so basically we have emergency and accident department. So A&E, which is, I think is ER in yeah, yeah. the US. Mm -hmm. So I went there initially and they rang them and said that I was coming and that I need to be seen first, et cetera, et cetera. Otherwise, you can be in A&E for a whole day and still not be seen. So I'm grateful that she said I need to be seen first and whatever. So they did some mandatory checks. So they have to check if you've got diabetes. So you have to do the finger prick test. They have to give you a blood test and they have to check your urines just so that they have all this information. However, I had never had a blood test before apart from when she checked my thyroid. So this is now my second blood test I've ever had. And I'm petrified of needles. Oh, God. Horrible experience. Absolutely vile. I'm used to it now, obviously. But at the time, I was like, oh, my God, take me home. Ha, ah, this isn't real. Like, take me home now. <laughs> and I just, it all happened quite quickly. But, well, it all happened quite slowly. But to me, it was quite quick because it was so frantic. And so I had all the mandatory checks done. 
I can't it's all such a blur to be honest it's all like I've kind of wiped it from my memory because to be honest I do feel like I've got a lot of PTSD from being in the hospital because obviously it's not a nice experience for anyone but I think after that I, I saw several different doctors to try and figure out what was wrong with me I then got admitted to a ward I just remember a doctor coming up to me and my family and being like you might want to go home and pack Jasmine an overnight bag because she might be staying here the night and I was like holy like this is serious I was like oh my god I'm staying in hospital I've never done that before and I was like I'm not gonna sleep over at the hospital this isn't cool this isn't cool it's not sleep yeah. I ever want to be at you know yeah. <laughs> and I was not cool and I remember being admitted for the night and it was horrible and yeah it it's kind of hard to speak about because it's so it's kind of just so raw Mm -hmm. and just the first night when my mum left me broke down in tears because I thought what the f is going on you know Mm. and by that point I mean it was scary it was so scary I was in this ward by myself the only people surrounding me were these old ladies and I was like hi guys I'm your new roommate Woo! I was just like oh man and actually, I remember this one really, really sweet lady. She must have been in her 80s. And she was in the bed opposite me. And one of the nurses came round. I love the NHS. I love all the nurses. But this nurse was a bit of a nuisance. And she came round and turned on my light. I was trying to sleep. This is now 1am. She turned on my light to treat the patient next to me, but kept their light turned off. And I thought, hold on, what on earth are you doing? I'm trying to sleep. Yet you've turned my light on. I'm very confused. I went, oh, do you need something from me? She said, no, no, no. I'm just treating the person next door. I went, oh, why can you turn my light on then? No, oh, no, no, it's fine. I'll just leave it on. And I kept going back and forth. Like, can you turn my light off, please? Like, what the hell? <laughs> and the woman opposite me, bless her, she was like, oh, for goodness sake, just turn that poor girl's light off. She's already been in tears today. She's left her mum. She doesn't know what's going on. Just turn her bloody light off. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> wow you. i was like thank you so much because I, I just i hate confrontation i hate confrontation so i didn't want to argue with her i'm the type of person to just back down well i used to be just to back down and like okay cool you can leave my light on and treat the patient next to you that's cool <laughs> if you want to do that but that lady oh my goodness she was just so strong-minded and i admired that so much i was like yeah actually why should i have to put up with that that's not cool but yeah so that was the first night and then after that, I then got admitted to the actual ward. So the, I want to say it was like the main organs ward. So everyone with like heart problems, liver problems, kidney problems, all yep. like in the upstairs ward. So then I got moved there and realised that I was literally the youngest person there by at least 40 years. And I was like, whoa, I don't belong here. This is mad. What? This is actually mad. The eldest woman in there was probably 92. She was 92. And then the second person who was like age above me was 50. And I was 18 and I was like, oh, I I feel like I don't belong here. And I was admitted to my own bed. By that point, I then, I think I then put on about two stone in weight. So about 24 pounds. Wow. And I was just so swollen everywhere and I just could not walk. I couldn't do anything. And I was like, wow, this has happened so quickly. I can't believe this. And I think from then it was just the case of, you need to have a kidney biopsy because we think you've got this nephrotic syndrome, but actually we can't tell you unless we take a sample of your kidney. Yeah. Now someone telling me that we need to take a part of your kidney 
scared the life out of me. I was like, excuse me? You're taking my what? What did you think? Because I had to do it too. I had to get the kidney mm. biopsy because they did all the, the, the urinalysis tests and stuff like that. And yeah. did multiple. My whole thing started with just like a, a standard urine test for physical, you know, weeks prior to the Olympic trials, the U.S. Olympic mm. trials. And so when they called me to give me my, my physical uh, test results, I was like, us is going to be like, yep, you're good. And walk out. Yeah. And everybody's, everybody's doing their thing, walking into the room and, you know, going throughout the week, getting their results. But I walk into the room and it's a room full of people. And I'm like, yeah. There's a lot of people in here just to tell me yeah. that my physical was cool. I'm like, what's <laughs> going on? I was like, why are you guys in here? And there's like all the doctors, the head trainers, some of the, some <laughs> my, the student trainers that I worked with closely that were like kind of my trainers, you know, are like the mm. ones that work with me the most. So they kind of knew my stuff. And they're all in the room and I'm like, what's up guys? And they're like, oh, your album you count and, and the levels are just off Crazy. the chart. Crazy. You're halfway towards kidney failure. So they did all the urine analysis stuff and they, they kept coming back like super bad. And then they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, you need to uh, do a kidney biopsy, you know? And then when yeah. they did that, I didn't know what it was. I mean, I didn't, but you know, what did you think it was? When, when they told you, do you think they're like cutting you open and doing stuff or what did you think? Yeah. I thought it was going to be like a keyhole surgery and they literally I was like oh my god you're taking out one of my kidneys to analyze and then put it back in my body that's genuinely what I thought it was going to be I was like you're not doing that I was like I'm sorry that's why I crossed the line I was like I'm going home if you're doing that because I'm not happy with that but actually it was a lot better than what I thought so I'm kind of glad that I thought the worst and it wasn't the worst obviously and yeah however the problem was because obviously I, for, I forget what it's called now when you put the tube in your vein um ready for a drip I, for, I forget oh. what that's called uh. um the um cannula yeah so basically I had to have a cannula put in my veins obviously just in case anything happened after the biopsy you never know if anything went wrong then I'd have to be on a drip to have blood put into my body basically if I lost too much blood Obviously, that's really rare that that's going to happen. It's right. probably impossible that it's going to happen. So, But it's just in case, yeah. just to save that back, you know. And however, the issue with me was I was so swollen, I couldn't even get the cannula in my body because it kept popping out. Quite funny to see, but kind of frustrating. <laughs> and I was like, no. oh, great. So that actually carried on for about nearly three weeks of trying to get a cannula in my arm. So I was stuck in the hospital for around three weeks, just trying to do the simplest of things that should have taken 30 seconds. Um, so Jasmine, during this and time, then, are, you, are, are they giving you medications and things to try to reduce the swelling? And, and yeah. like, yeah, yeah, no, three weeks literally seems like an incredibly long time. For... Yeah. So literally that I got given nothing because obviously they don't want to give me something and then it essentially make it worse, whatever it is. Okay. Um, so I guess I had like paracetamol, some painkillers, but right, I'm right, like, right. I'm not in pain. I'm just uncomfortable. Like I'm not in pain. I'm just very uncomfortable. And I remember having to go for a ultrasound scan to scan my kidneys to see if there was anything like surrounding them or anything. And I think that actually turned out okay. But that was quite funny, actually. I I was so adamant that I would walk to the different part of the hospital and he was adamant, the doctor was adamant that I must go in this wheelchair. But I was already embarrassed enough because I was in a hospital gown. But the worst part, I tell you a funny story, the worst part was my mum, bless her soul, she had taken home all of my underwear to wash, not realising I probably needed some underwear in the hospital with me. 
So actually, when that kind doctor was like, oh, would you like to come with me and sit in this wheelchair? I went, no, actually, I think I'll stay here and walk because what I actually wanted to do was cover my bum because <laughs> it was on it was on full display. I thought, no, I, I'll, I'll be OK. Thanks. I'll walk behind you and I will. Yeah, you, I'll walk behind you. No, 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 no. You must sit in the chair. So awkward because then actually I had to stand up, sit in the chair. I think he saw everything. I was like, you know what? I've gone past point of care now. Who cares? <laughs> oh, like, my oh, it was so embarrassing. So oh, embarrassing. Oh my god. But I feel like you just got a laugh, you know. I was like, oh, this is so embarrassing. And so that took quite a long time. Then finally the cannula went in. I cried when it went in because I was so happy that it actually went into my body. I was like, yes, yeah. woohoo. I cried with happiness. And then after that. I then obviously had to go into the biopsy, which scared the living daylights out of me because I actually thought that I was going to be put to sleep. But mm. then I found out about two hours before the surgery that I was going to be awake the whole time. Yep. And I was like, excuse me? Yeah. You what now? Yeah. I was like, wait, so you're going to go into my body, through my back, yep. do your thing, mm-hmm. go back out whilst I'm awake I was like yeah I can't comprehend that I'm sorry I cannot comprehend that and I went wait hold on a second can we just put this on pause right now because did they I'm show not you the, very well did you see the thing they used did you see no the, did, he was like yeah. yeah he was like no 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 it's fine like do you want to see what we're gonna use I went no I don't thank you I can't even deal with the blood test <laughs> wait so did you ever look did you ever see it what it was no never I, and I never want to I love oh, no I was like <laughs> what I was like oh no. man yeah I can't I can't and do you remember do you remember what it felt like when they did it yes oh my goodness it feels like you know when you cut open a chicken but you accidentally cut through the bone yeah yeah it it, it Ah. felt really odd and I was convinced that it I could feel it so much but actually I could just feel the pressure but I was like no I'm not numb yeah yeah but I was like no I'm not numb I need more numbing things I need more numbing things I was like, no, give me more, give me more. Yeah, actually, yeah. I was like, no, it's just the pressure that you can feel. And yeah. the worst part is as well, because I actually cannot like stand still or sit still or anything. I, I, I love to just keep moving. And basically on the bed, you must keep still. And once yeah. your head, I didn't know this, but once your head is turned a specific way, you yeah. can't move it. Because if you then turn your head, it affects your kidney and the yeah. position of it. Oh yeah i forgot so i forgot move, about that yeah i yeah I, I didn't want to move i was just like i'm just gonna sit here yes. and do Petrified. the thing i just felt like the it's funny too because i can still feel where they did the pokes and stuff you know it's like oh my god and then you literally yeah. the thing is, what makes me laugh is i felt so pathetic afterwards because actually <laughs> when i took the plaster off it, i think it was like two weeks afterwards i took the plaster off and i was like wait where's the where's this massive like hero scar that i've yeah like was expected to get and my dad was like oh it's like this tiny dot on your back right here and I was like oh okay then yeah Yeah. yep so what was your official final diagnosis what what did they determine is your so the diagnosis came back that I had minimal change disease which is what I've been told the best kind of nephrotic I say best kind very loosely best kind of nephrotic syndrome you can be diagnosed with because supposedly it's the easiest to treat and keep under control I'm not going to say cure because there's no cure I'm going to say treat yeah did you say minimal change is that what you called it yeah so I believe I did some research on this I believe minimal change basically means there's been so under a microscope I actually read this the other day under a microscope under a normal microscope sorry you can't really see the difference between a normal kidney and 
someone's kidney who's got nephrotic syndrome. However, if you zoom in a bit more, it's literally the tiniest fraction of a difference. And that's how you know it's minimal change disease. Mm. I believe if there is any more of a difference, you would be able to see that under a normal microscope without zooming in anymore. And I believe then that is FSGS or something else. Okay. So yeah. you get diagnosed with this and obviously it's a tiny molecular level change in your kidney yeah. and yet it's causing crazy swelling weight gain like you can't yeah you can't put a cannula in your 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 yeah. eyes don't un, unswell <laughs> if you cry eyes don't... <laughs> um, once they diagnosed you with that and they got you on a treatment plan obviously right i see you now you you don't you look like your eyes work. You look like you're, yeah. you've yeah, they work. <laughs> probably lost some of that swelling. So how long did it take to get back to feeling somewhat normal? Wow. This is a, wow. Everything has such a long story, man. This is a long journey. But basically, I remember one doctor wasn't very nice. And she basically told me very straight how it was. And she went, right. So you're going to go on this drug called prednisolone. It's a steroid and you're going to get fat. And I was like, yeah. right, cool. As an 18 year old girl, I do not want to hear that, you know? especially being a dancer i don't want to hear that i'm going to get fat and obese and i'm never going to dance again she literally said i'm sorry but you might want to change your career i went no of course not like that is bizarre yeah. and i just remember sitting there and literally i, I felt like a five-year-old having a tantrum i went i'm not going on these drugs you're not going to make me and i'm never going to do it you are not i really refuse i really really refuse because actually the way you've told that to me it's like you're asking me to eat poo. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, I wouldn't do it. Like, why would I do that to myself? She's like, yeah. well, you have no choice. That's going to be your life now. And I was like, what? Like, you can't just say to me, my life is now going to be obesity and no like nothing. Like, what? That's unfair. I'm sorry, that's unfair. And actually, I'm glad I've never seen her again because I actually really wanted to punch her in the face, but I'm glad I didn't. That's how strongly <laughs> I felt. And yeah, so she told me I had to start these drugs. I cried about it for a whole day and I was like, you know what? It is what it is. I have to do it. Yeah. So file. you did do prednisone. You did it? Oh, yeah. It, oh, man. I, I have big, big PTSD with prednisone and it I said no. I said no day. to it. I said no to it. Wow. Okay. I, I wish I, I said like, no. I wish I said yeah, no. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's tough. You don't know I, would like to say, I would like to say, you know, consult with your doctors. And stuff. I mean, I'm just saying me personally, when... I had the same reaction you had. It's like basically tell me, you know, to eat poo. I was like, I'm not yeah. doing it. Well, you're uh, in a very yeah. unique situation though, John. Like you were an elite level athlete. And if you take prednisone, that creates crazy complications with your yeah. career. All so. kinds with, of stuff. Your, like, I wasn't thinking yeah. about it from the elite athlete standpoint. I was like, when mm -hmm. he told me, when the doctor walked to the room, kind of similar, that I never saw that doctor again. Uh, he came in the room, basically told me, you're going to die. There's no cure. Good luck. <laughs> That is horrible. That's basically how he said it. Because he just comes in and, oh, all the kidney diseases you could have, I wish it wasn't this one. And I'm like, huh? That's how you're going to start telling me what Vile. my kidney biopsy results are? I'm like, this is the weirdest conversation ever. And I was by myself. I was 26. And there was no family in town. And I'm like, this is, wait, this is how we're That's starting this conversation? And then he tells me, yeah. And you got chance. You have blood pressure medication, which is basically make you tired, sleeping. You're never going to be able to have any energy. Or you could take prednisone, which means you're going to get overweight, acne, probably feel really bad, and you're probably not going to be able to function at all. So which one would you like to take? Oh, <laughs> and I said, no. neither one of them. And I just got up and walked out. And that was that. Well, good for you. Good for you. you. Know, I was like, I'm going to figure this out. So what was your experience yeah. with the prednisone? What does it do, Jasmine? 
Oh wow, what doesn't it do? That that's that's the question. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot, a lot. <laughs> yeah, it does a lot. So oh. no one really prepares you for what you are about to witness in your life. Everyone is different. I'm just going to put that out there. Everyone is different. Everyone reacts differently. Everyone goes on their own journey. So obviously, I got told that I was going to be obese and overweight and tired and have acne and all these different things. I thought, wow, okay, there's a lot to take in and prednisone does have a lot of side effects so from that you also develop something called moon face which mm-hmm. you essentially turn into the moon emoji i mean is cute for little kids but when you're a young adult not so cute you know and essentially you just everything you eat everything you drink just goes to your face for some reason and you look like one of the chipmunks from alvin and the chipmunks you look like their side trick basically yeah <laughs> Just wasn't a cute look. And considering I had just started, however, I think it worked in my favour that I just started a new university and I didn't know anyone because actually they didn't know what I originally looked like. They just knew me as Moonface Jasmine and that was normal to them. So actually that was quite comforting. And actually, as I started to lose the moon face, they were like, whoa, you lost so much weight on your face. And I was like, I know, thanks. (laughs) This is the actual me. Like you get to meet the real me now. And I think it was more difficult for... Actually, you know what? I think even as hard as it was for myself, I think it was actually very difficult for my family and friends around me just Mm -hmm. because they don't understand what you're going through and you won't understand unless you're on the medication. And actually that medication made me very angry, very depressed, very anxious, angry to the point I would yell at my sock. Like I would literally look at my sock and be like, where is the other sock? And literally go off on a tantrum. Uh, And that would last like (laughs) 10 minutes. I'd be like, why am I yelling at a sock that doesn't exist that I can't find? Just get another pair of socks. Like, but actually it just completely erases any rationality you have in your brain, which is mad. And you can't control it. You don't realize you're doing it. And it's annoying, actually. It's very annoying because then you end up taking things out on people who you love and you end up pushing people away. And actually, like it broke down. It had already broken down my teenage relationship and like that had gone down the drain because I was just so angry. Just couldn't cope with anything like mental breakdowns every day but actually that drug was making my kidneys better but it made me feel worse so mm-hmm. it was kind of a the, the pros way out the cons I guess but oh, not really and I think the main thing for me was my mood and my moon face because actually that really hit hard and I, I just think like I would look in the mirror every day. I got so obsessed. I'd look in the mirror every day and literally be like, why isn't this going away? Why isn't this going away? Why is it still here? And it was like that for two and a half years of my life. And it was torture, a very long process. And I was just on the steroids for so long. And actually by that point, because I was so obsessed with the fact that that doctor told me that I was going to get overweight, I actually became anorexic and developed two eating disorders within that time which was disheartening it was horrible and obviously being I mean I'm not putting stereotypes on but obviously being in the industry that I am it's more common to have a eating disorder anyway however I I Mm. never ever thought that I would be that person with the eating disorder I honestly never I love food so much I am such a foodie you give me food I'll eat it even if I'm not hungry I will eat it I love it (laughs) and I am that person I'll be like you want to go eat yeah let's go eat feeling sad you eat you're feeling happy you eat you know just ah it's just so difficult and it was so hard because actually I was so underweight but my face said different 
Mm. And to look at me physically with my body, I would blow away in the wind. Put it that way. I, I was lost all my muscle. I'd lost all my fat. It was bad. I was dehydrated because actually I took too many, what are they called, to get rid of the water. Mm-hmm. And I took too many of those. So I was dehydrated, which obviously didn't help with my singing because that completely dried out my throat. And then actually I, I go off on a little bit of a tangent, but being on those water pills, I then actually became quite obsessed with them. And because of the eating disorder, I thought the less I weigh, the better, because actually I'll never get fat then and I'll never be obese. And I'll prove that doctor wrong that I'm not going to get fat. And actually, I think this is so important to say, and I've never actually said this, but I literally would use those pills then to lose more weight because I know that it would get rid of water and then I'd lose a bit of weight. But actually, I was so, so doing so much damage to my body. But mentally, I thought, yeah, this is the right thing to do, you know, and it's not healthy and it's not. And and Jasmine, I want to ask you about yeah. this. What we, I mean... I guess there's a general question about the state of kidney care and the care that you received, right? Like, so where, where it was strong and where it was weak, but especially what you're hitting at now is like the mental challenge of dealing with the day-to-day grind of what you're going through. It doesn't sound like you had very much support in that area. I think my hospital did actually offer me support from the beginning, as in, in terms of, look, we have a counselor on site we can sign you up with her for you to speak to her. However, because at that age, I was already in denial that I had a condition. I wouldn't accept the fact that I was unhealthy and that my kidneys didn't function, that I went, no, I don't need your help, thank you. I can cope by myself. I've coped this far. I've lived 18 years of coping. Why do I Why do I need your help now, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I've got my mom, I've got my dad, I'm fine. And I completely wrote that off. I said, no, unsign me, I don't need it. But actually, by the time I got to my third year at university, I then had to start seeing my college counsellor because I, I couldn't cope. I really mm-hmm. couldn't cope. My first year at university was the worst. I had relapse after relapse after relapse. I didn't know why. I didn't know why this problem wasn't going away. I still didn't understand the nephrotic syndrome. I mm-hmm. would research. I would stay up till like 3 a.m. researching all this stuff and getting into like rabbit holes of different things and different health conditions and just trying to piece the, the pieces together and be like, why? The big question was why? And, and that stuck with me for so long. But actually, after time, I thought, you know what, forget why. It's how can I get out of this and how can yeah. I get better? Forget the why, you know? Well, that's that's uh, so important as far as just like separating the feeling and the frustration and the and the, the unfairness of, of it all from the just the, the what you actually have to do in the moment in order to yeah. make it get a positive result. And I, I look at a lot of this and I think, you know, it's funny now you talked in the beginning about communication and the importance of it. And I think that's sort of been this sort of trend is you, you said to go, it says like you've got to go it alone and get yourself overly mm. stressed out and overly like you're, you're not getting there. And then at some point you hit a breaking point and finally, yeah, go yeah. get the support you need. And I mean, if you had, if you had it to do over, would you now, would you would recommend to yourself, go see that oh, hospital counselor? 100%. Go, if yeah. I could go back in time, I mean, you should never say what if and if right, I go right, back, right. But, but if I could go back in time, if there's someone I else would in your 100%. condition, like let's just say somebody else who's getting a diagnosis at 18 years old, like what do we recommend mm. to them to do? Oh, in that situation? yeah. If you get offered help, take it. Take it. It's like saying no to free money. Why wouldn't you? Like just <laughs> take it, you know? Mm-hmm. Just grab it with all your might and take it and accept the fact that 
you need the help, you know? And I'm so terrible at saying I need help. I'm so terrible at saying that. But now if I think I need help, I will put up my hand and be like, guys, I'm struggling. Please, can you help me? I just, even if it's just, you sit there and I rant at you because I just need to get it out of my system. I just yeah. need to. <laughs> I do it to Brian all the time. I just, hey, Brian, I got a rant. And he'd be like, oh, Brian. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it goes both ways, right? So, we, so Jasmine, I look at you on this Zoom call we're doing and you seem like everything seems pretty good. I mean, how would you describe your situation now? Like, what's your, what's your yeah. status? So right now I'm actually currently going through a relapse, which obviously isn't good. Okay, wait, before you go um, on, been, what does that mean for you? What does a relapse actually mean? Ah, I see. Okay, so a relapse is basically your kidney function is not going as well as it was. Uh-huh. In our case with kidney disease or nephrotic syndrome specifically, mm-hmm. it's the fact that there is obviously protein showing in my urines. Mm-hmm. And if that's over a certain number, then it means you're having a relapse, essentially. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. And do you so, test right, this frequently? Or do you just know by feeling that you're having a relapse? you kind of can suss it out yourself. So it's kind of like, for me, it's always in my legs. If my legs feel, again, like I said, the tight feeling, if they feel like that, I'm like, wow, yeah, something's not right. Or if my eyes are, it's my legs and my face. If my face is slightly puffy, I think, ooh, something's not right. And then I judge it from there. And also if your urine is frothy or has Mm -hmm. bubbles, then it means you have protein in your urine. Mm-hmm. Um, because it reacts with the air or something. Done a lot of research on this, but can't quite remember. So yeah, currently I'm having a relapse, and I believe that I got it from having a very bad cold slash flu last month. Obviously, right now I'm taking medication, which is classed as a chemotherapy. Which people still are like, "Oh, you're on chemotherapy? I thought that was just for cancer people." And I was like, "Yeah, there's like different types, but I'm just honestly, I've gone past the point of being able to just." take the energy to explain everything mm-hmm. to people who aren't actually listening so yeah and I was like yeah I'm on chemotherapy but anyway that's not the main point but this chemotherapy essentially gives you a very very low immune system so if someone sneezes on me I will get a cold if they have the cold but actually my situation will be worse because it will cause me a relapse and I have to start all over again mm-hmm. and I was devastated because for the last three-ish years I had been relapse free and if you're relapse free, then it means you're in remission, which is like, it's under control. Everything is under control with the medication you're currently on. And it's funny since lockdown, because obviously we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Since March, I've had five mini relapses. Now I say mini because they actually resolve themselves over time without any extra medication. And that was it. And, but I believe those were due to my allergies, which is another completely bizarre thing. But this one I believe was because I caught a cold. And my immune system just couldn't fight it off. So right now, my legs are very swollen. When I wake up, my face is quite swollen because obviously I've like lay down and all the water's gone to my face. And then obviously gravity does its job throughout the day or goes to my legs. I am 14 pounds heavier than I was three weeks ago. Wow. Which is horrible because I can't walk essentially. Like I can walk. However, it's very difficult. I have to walk like a snail. And usually I walk so quickly. I am always in a rush to get somewhere, even if I don't need to be in a rush. (laughs) I always, I have to be like, go, 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 go. And 
yeah I can't currently walk and actually I think it's given me a foot injury because my foot can't handle the pressure of the water and mm. so now my foot's a bit like yeah does it, it it also doesn't know what's going on and I don't blame my foot <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so right now I just I have a face-to-face appointment on Monday because actually I've already had three urine samples done throughout the last three weeks just to see if anything's changed from week to week but actually from week to week it's got worse and that's not good obviously so yeah so I've been called in to see my nephrologist on Monday just to see what the next step is and I've cried about it because obviously the PTSD with the prednisolone and he did say we might have to go back on it and I cried and I just thought oh my goodness don't make me do that again is a horrible thought but then actually I just thought you know what Jazz you just kind of have to suck it up because actually some people out there in the world who have the same condition as you can't even afford medication. So yeah. actually I should look on the other side, look on the bright side of life. I say I can afford it. I'm with the NHS. I'm in a grateful situation and I must just accept the facts. And I think it will be a big learning curve with whatever the result is on Monday and whatever we have to do. And it obviously that will have a knock on effect with my job and with what I do and just big life changes again that I have to make big big decisions like I'm only 22 and I have to make big life decisions like this which is so much pressure and yeah because I don't know what he's going to say on Monday you know he could actually say oh you know what you'll be fine and you just have to take a little bit of steroids for this amount of time you'll be fine or he could say this is really bad. We need to change your medication completely. And then I will be like, okay, okay. Like, oh, Hmm. that's not good, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's very much, I love to know what's going on in the future. But actually with kidney disease, you have to live your life every day not knowing. You don't know. You just don't know. Yeah, I have my annual kidney checkup because I only have to do Mm. it once a year right now with where I'm at. So mine's coming up in two weeks and, Mm. you know, doing the full blood and urine uh, tests and stuff. The doctor that I work with is actually the kidney. He's a nephrologist, but his focus is on the stem cell treatment and stuff. He's actually the doctor oh. to perform my treatment. And so wow. I just consult with him. I talk to other doctors, like I have some really amazing connections uh, with other nephrologists, one from the head of head of nephrology over at Harvard has been a really good friend of mine. So I share all my results with some of these amazing people because I want to understand the stem cell treatment part of it. I was like, what impact has it had? If any, can we start to understand it and unpack it (laughs) and whatever? But I'm always nervous, you know, about my annual test just because, you know, I don't want to see the numbers be like, oh, the stem cells not working anymore or whatever's not working anymore. I mean, I I say the stem cells out, but we're all kind of like, well, we think it did. I mean, look at where you're at nine years later. Yeah. It's like it, everything got better after the stem cell mm. treatment. So I'm like, how can we not say it has a, a contribution? Yeah. I don't know. But they're like, well, you're the yeah. only one, blah, 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 blah. But I'm nervous because mm. I'm like, well, it, I haven't it, really thought about what do I do if it gets worse? What if it, go, what if it, yeah. what if it goes back? You know, and, yeah. and, and all of a sudden yeah. I'm having to deal with that reality. Yeah. It scares the shit, you know, it scares, you know, you know, and it's literally the, it's the fear of the unknown. It really yeah. is. We all have it, even kidney disease, no kidney disease. We all have the fear of the unknown. Exactly. Uh, but it, it's worse when it's happening to you personally. And 
it's so hard that you don't have that control because I believe that a lot of us like to have a little bit of control over our own lives and how it's going. And it's just a thing that you have to accept, I believe. And since diagnosis, I've always believed that your health comes first no matter what, because I've had to say no to a lot of things and just accept the fact that actually you can't do that right now. So yeah, you might be sad about it, but you'll be even more sad if you went and then your kidney got worse, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think that that's the, the, the big takeaway um, from this conversation is that, you know, you've, you're young, but boy, you got, a, you got a pretty amazing perspective, you know, on, oh. on, on things in general. I mean, I know that it's easy to just, or not easy, but I, I know that it's easier to get in front of people and, and put on a, you know, a brave face and everything. But I, I, I feel yeah. like you're the kind of person that keeps it real. I think that if you weren't in a good spot, you'd say it. I think if you were not oh, doing yeah. good, you'd say it. <laughs> I feel like that's yeah. just the kind of person that you are. But I think that the reality is that you are, uh, you know, I think you've gained quite an amazing perspective on what you're dealing with. And the key takeaway for me talking to you is that you I think you understand that no matter what happens, you have to just stay present and just deal with it as it comes. And, and then you'll figure it out from there, you know, because that's just the way that life goes. It's always, no matter what plans you make, life has a funny way of saying, that's (laughs) nice. Yeah, that's you know? nice, but yeah, so, let's try my plan now. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, this is how it's going to go, though. Like, you can want yeah. that all you want and keep wanting it, but this is, you're going to have to go through all yeah. this other stuff that I'm going to give you yeah. before you get and to I, have and, and enjoy that thing. So, yeah. And I do honestly, big shout out to my dad because he is just, I don't know how he does this, yeah. but he is calm. Like, he stays calm in situations. Mm. And, he always says to me, and I take this for the rest of my life now, so I will share it with you guys. It's brilliant. He said to me once, look, Jazz, if this thing that you're worrying about, whatever it is, big or small, your socks that you can't find, <laughs> <laughs> if, if it doesn't matter in 10 years' time, does it really matter? Do you have to worry about it that much? Does it really matter? And I went, oh, actually, no. And he was like, so why are you worrying about it? And I was like, I don't know. Said, exactly. So what's the point of worrying about it? And I was like, whoa, that's deep, <laughs> that's some deep stuff there, Dad. I was like, well done, you've hit the nail on the head. And honestly, I take so much advice from my dad because he just has a very open mind. And I feel like I've learned a lot from him. And he always, that's one of his sayings. Another one of his sayings is very simple. It's just, oh, that's life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to be honest, Dad, yeah, you're right. That's life. That's the way it rolls. And we got to control that, you know? Real quick, what do you take from your mother? You know, what strength do you take from your mom? Wow. Yeah. My mom is literally, the way I describe my mom is easy come, easy go. Mm. So she is the most laid back person I've ever met. Like her, like her, so cool. both her and my dad are so, <laughs> so laid back. And I remember, oh goodness, I used to feel so awful like growing up now, I feel so awful. Like I do not take my parents for granted. I love them so much. But actually as a kid, you just yell at your parents all the time for some reason. And you just, you, you, yeah, you hate your parents when you grow up. Cause you're like, why won't you let me do this? Why won't you let me do that? But actually they do it for the best. But actually I look at my mom and I think, wow, you are incredible because she was the one who always took me to my dance lessons, swimming lessons, piano lessons. Yeah, always, mom's the best. Yeah. always, always, always. 
if it wasn't for my mum, I wouldn't be in the career that I am now. Because she was the one who introduced me to my very first ballet lesson and thought, oh, well, Jazz, if you like it, then you can carry on. I went, okay, thanks. And I loved it. And she went, okay, you can carry on then. I went, cool. I'm so glad. I just wanted to make sure that we, you know, because it seems like you get your strength from both your mother and your father and they kind of bring different elements to the table. So it's so wonderful to hear that. And you, because we see it in you, you know, and I'd love to have Brian ask you our favorite or one of our favorites and our final question before we end this amazing conversation with you today. Well, thanks, John. Yeah, I always, we always end it with the same question, which is, you know, our brand is Go Be More. And we like to ask all of our guests, what did, what does the phrase Go Be More mean to you? Mm. So I first heard this phrase when the lovely John Rankin reached out to me and said, Go Be More. And I went, oh, okay, then cool. Thanks, John. Thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, but to me, Go be more. It's three simple words. It's three simple words. And I've always believed that you can only be the best that you want to be, essentially. Because if you believe that you can be a rocket scientist, why can't you be one? You know, if you put in the effort, if you put in the time, you put in the energy, you can do it. Absolutely fine. Like myself, if I didn't put in the energy to become a performer, then I wouldn't have done it, you know? And I just think, go be more on a daily basis, even if it means, for example, now I can hardly walk. However, I know that I can walk. So actually, if I say to myself, oh, no, wait, you must go be more, go be more than just lying in a bed being a kidney patient, because that's not what you are. That doesn't define you as a person. That's not good. So I'll get up and I'll go for a walk, even if it's two minutes, even if it's down the stairs, you know, that's me being more and living my life to my full potential at the time because sometimes I can run not that far but anyway I can run (laughs) (laughs) so however I can't do that so actually all I can do now is walk very slowly for two minutes so I'm going to go do that because actually that's better than lying in bed and doing nothing because I'm not going to benefit anyone I mean but don't get me wrong if that is literally all you can do and lie in bed and do nothing, you do you, you know? I feel like the go be more is how much you can do in your current situation, in the current state that you are in at that moment in time, no matter how small. Wow. I love that, Jasmine. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ryan, how do they keep getting better and better? I swear every time somebody answers that question, I'm like, oh, that's, that's as good as it gets. And then... <laughs> And then the next one, oh my gosh, that's better than, wow. I mean, they're all Someone's amazing. Someone's got to try and top my answer now. That's it. That's it. Raise the bar. I don't know. Man, Jasmine, um, Jasmine you thanks. are just, you're just lovely. You're yeah, lovely. Thank you so much for being oh, on the show. You. For likewise, sharing. Likewise. Thank you for sharing your experience and for just, I, I, I really respect the, the, the challenges that you've had to go through and the lessons that you've learned from them. And that's one of the things we always want to do with the show is highlight extraordinary people who are going through extraordinary situations. And hopefully everybody who listens can take a little something and make those small little changes that help them make the most out of what their situation is right now. And so I just really appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. It was really great speaking with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure speaking to you both. Thank you, Jasmine. Um, Obviously, I will continue to bother you on Instagram. (laughs) 
<laughs> go for it. Go for it. It's like <laughs> good care, Jasmine, and and obviously we'll stay in touch. But thanks again for sharing your stuff with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, everybody, if you enjoyed that conversation and you want to send us feedback directly, my email is brian at gobiamore.co. Thank you to Michelle at Creatives Collective Marketing for assistance with editing and show notes. Our next episode is with entrepreneurs Jasmine Sanchez and Jalen Brown, who discuss their journey creating the Hydro Shirt. Subscribe so you don't miss it. Lastly, if you enjoy the pod, please help us out by giving us a review on iTunes. It makes a big difference, and to make it really easy, I put a link to the reviews at the top of the show notes. For all of us at Gobi More, we are what the world is chasing, and we hope this podcast helps you become what the world is chasing too.